called with Connecticut plates goes through the red light. And uh, I follow it down 167, and I put the cherry on top. The guy won't stop. So he gets down to you like You put wet. the cherry on top, yeah, huh? Yeah, put the cherry on top. That's so funny. And the guy won't stop, and uh, he, there's a construction down at 167, so he can't go anywhere. So I got him. So I get out of the car, and I walk to the driver's side, and I said, let me see, let me see your hands. His hands are on. He's underneath the seat. I said, let me see your hands. And he's underneath the seat. I said, let me see your hands. It's summer, so he had the window down. So I, I put the revolver in the window. I cocked it behind his head. I cocked it, and I said, if you don't show me your hands, we're going to have a very horrible accident here right now. A few minutes. <laughs> Something terrible is going to happen. And when he heard the gun cock, he, you know, he uh-huh. brings his hands up. I take him out of the car. I put him on the ground outside the car. I turn to look in the car. There's a 45 sticking out from under the seat. And when he realized that I saw the gun, he kicked me in the nuts, and he got up and ran oh, up, like, you know, uh-huh. Teller Avenue. Hey, what's up, everybody? Here we are once again for Police Off the Cuff. We were up in Osning, New York, the palatial estates of my partner in law enforcement, Bill Cannon. What's I can't up, Bill? I get over you saying that. Like, people think uh, I'm rich or something. And, you know, it's nice God up we've here, had bro. Some real it's way nicer. Warriors come up here to protect this house, all right? Have some criminals. Yeah, it's way up, nicer bro. than where I live. <laughs> hey, listen, before I start, I had mentioned. Um, a couple of weeks back that I wanted to give a shout out. I do a lot of comedy shows and benefits for different organizations. And one of them, uh, the one I'm the t-shirt I'm wearing today is uh, for Stand Up for Autism. They do a show out. Susan Reek, she's a member, a retired member of the service. And um, she's the, is the Nassau Suffolk chapter of Autism Society of America. And... They do wonderful things out there. Uh, if you have a child who's suffering from autism you can, and you need resources, um, they can definitely help you out. So reach out to them. And they put together a comedy show every year and have been lucky enough to do the last two of them. And what I want to do, um, and this, this is for Andrew. Pay attention, Andrew. We need a website and a message board, okay, ASAP. <clears throat> you put that up, you hear me? <laughs> and the reason why I want to have something like that, like our own website <clears throat> and a message board, is so for these different, um, these different groups that uh, put together these functions that I want the performing on, they can communicate, and they have all these resources, and anybody who goes on to our, our website in the future will be able to find out, oh, look, Stand Up For Autism, or something that has to do with um, the last shirt that I wore, which was... Um, for so- soldiers, right. a family of uh, who have lost um, a military family, and uh, so that's what we want to do. Basically, we want to put this uh, put this together. So you get on that, Andrew. You hear me? <laughs> do you do stuff like that, Andrew? He's wearing many hats. No, no, but he's good. He's well, here he's too, man. Guy. The kid is here today. The, what kind of shoes you got on? Uh, he's he's rocking you, the toes again, bro. Because he thinks he's like one of those martial arts guys walking around barefoot all the time. You all right, Bill? Yeah, I'm okay. Anything new to report? Nah, just the stresses of this stuff, you know. Yeah, you think there's stress, but there you is. You gotta relax, bro. Yeah, you, you know, gotta relax. Gotta, I'm taking I'm you in the car. Day, you know? I'm gonna take you in the car. I'm gonna <laughs> roll up the windows. I gotta learn how to be. I'm gonna light one up, man. <laughs> you gotta learn how to just chill, you know. Yeah, you gotta chill, bro. Yeah. But we're a good balance because <laughs> you're all the way A and I'm all the way, I guess, F, right? I'm an F. I'm <laughs> or Z, maybe. Yeah. All right, we got a great, a phenomenal guest, man. What can I tell you about this guest? Um, Bill actually did his re- radio show recently. He uh, he has uh, his own radio show up north somewhere. He'll tell you about it. And uh, just to, so you get a little background, our first guest, um, he was in the military. He was a member of the service, a cop uh, with the NYPD. Yep. 
he was a musician, singer, I think, too. Yeah. What he has his own radio show. The past tense. He's Re- still here. Well, well, relax, bro. He had his own radio show, and he's also involved in politics. Yeah. And his name is Montgomery Delaney. That's correct. Yeah. I love that name, Montgomery. Yeah. By the way. You guys call me Monty. Yeah. Named after the famous general, the British general. No, Montgomery? everybody asked me that. I was named after my. It was my great grandmother's maiden name. Wow. Yeah. Name was Mary Montgomery. So. Oh, that sounds like a nun. That's a nun. My great grandmother, so she obviously wasn't a uh-huh. nun. <laughs> <laughs> Montgomery, uh, the reason why I love that name is because of Montgomery Cliff. He was one of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. You know, guy. From here you know to eternity. What's amazing about, and uh, not just a place in the sun here, but about cops in general, about. How many different hats they wear? Some of I them mean, do. He's trying to do so some many of them do. Things with his there's life. listen. A lot, a lot of talent. There's guys guy. like you. But there's just the three of us. You're a professor. I was an actor, a comedian. We just went through what you did. This, this. Look, we got three of them in this room. But there's a bunch of them that don't do shit when they get out of work. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. You know, or, or their room. whole life is just a job. He ran for which is fine, by justice. the way. You know, we're going to get to that, Bill. Okay. You're rushing. I don't want to steal all your shit. <laughs> we're, we're, we're three active guys. There's guys who their whole life was a job, and God yeah. bless them. And then there's other guys that just came and did the eight hours mm. and then used to go to uh, the bar. Yeah. You know, they went old school, man. We used to do, um, what was it, Mahoney runs when I was in the in the task force in, in Queens. And it was one of the cops who used to take lost time. We used to be in the 111, which is on Bell Boulevard in Northern, in, in uh, Bayside, Queens. And he used to take Law's time to walk around the corner to go to the bar there. <laughs> and he'd be there the whole night. We used to do Montgomery run, um, Mahoney runs. That's where you drove by the bar. Yeah. And we looked for him inside. Look, none of Anywho. us are strangers to the inside of a bar. All right, so it, let's see. It your life. In the 4-4, we drank right in the station house. We didn't, uh, we didn't go to bar. You didn't need a bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the old. You could put two, uh, two beers in the fridge, right, yeah, for yeah. dinner? See, that's yeah. like Imagine they... that. You used to be able to put a couple of beers in the fridge for dinner. Mm-hmm. Imagine you did that now. You Imagine know, they found the beer. Oh, my God. In a, in a, in a, a beer investigation. Oh, my well, God. Like, most guys shut the drink, precinct down. Most guys didn't drink to excess. Most guys did like that, you know, a couple right. of beers with lunch or something like that. It wasn't like. Guys were getting tanked in the, in the station house, you know. But you know, Monty has two things that you never say. You were former. He he's a marine. You always yeah. say you were a marine, yeah. and he's a four four cop. Because mm-hmm. once you're a four four precinct cop, you go to your deathbed being a four four cop. Four four forever. That's well, we before say. we go, we get into that, um, it's rare that I, I see somebody who's actually bigger than me. <laughs> What are you, like 6'8"? I'm 6'6", six, six, you know, and that helped on a job, you know. When oh, yeah, I, you know, of course. When I got out of the car, I was... Uh, you were a big dude. The guys were always happy to see me come and back them up. You know? Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. Remember that first day when you got to the precinct and, like, they're sizing you up, all the other guys, before they break you up into squads, and they're almost, like, picking you? <laughs> you yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah, the old timers, yeah, looking up and down. Yeah, yeah, I want that kid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I got picked pretty quick by a guy named Ned Cassis, God rest his soul. Uh, How did that go down? It was good. I mean, he was an old time. He had, like, 30 years on a job. He took me out in the car, and uh, he showed me uh, he showed me the streets. You know, it was good. Uh-huh. It was good. Uh, one of the first days out there, we get a uh, call for a smell and a lot. And I go over to these plastic bags, and, you know, something's dead inside of them. So he says, open the bags. I said, no, nah, I'm not opening these bags. <laughs> he goes, there's a junkie on the street. He says, junkie, get over here, junkie. He goes, go open up his bags. And the guy says, oh, there's a body. There's a body in the bag. It's caught up. And he got on the radio like like it was something that happened every day. He's like, uh, Fort David, the Central, 
we're going to need the squad over here. We've got another chop-up job in this lot. <laughs> we oh called God. it a chop-up job. It sounds like you're coming for a car. I know, I know. So I was like, me, I'm blowing my cookies all over Sheridan Avenue. He's like, it's a chop-up yeah. job. You know, like no big deal, you know? What year was that? That was 84. 84. 84. Before, before, it was no joke back then. No, it was no joke. No, it was no joke. You went into the uh, the Marines first, and then you got on the job? Yeah, I went to the Marines. I I went to college, had athletic scholarships. My second uh, semester, I got a D in four and completes. I have a doctorate now, so obviously it was nothing organic. What were you playing in college? Basketball and baseball. And then... um, so I went in the Marine Corps because I lost my scholarship, and then you know that. Uh, you must have been an amazing athlete, huh? I was a pretty good athlete. You know, I was. What did you What did you play in baseball? I was a pitcher. Yeah, pitcher I can see and that. First baseman. I like I like that because, you know. How hard the, did you throw? I they didn't really have the guns back then, but I threw it hard. I threw it hard enough to scare people. Yeah, know? I could and, imagine uh, that. And um, you're like you know, Randy Johnson coming uh, down on. Yeah, it was, I had some velocity. Because you get really close to the plate when you're that tall. Yeah. If you got a long stride. Yeah. By the time the ball is getting up to you, that it definitely cuts down their reaction times. No doubt. Bad. And the arc of your throw when you're six mm-hmm. foot six inches tall. You get more spin on the ball too. Yeah, if you, if you yeah I would have hated trying to hit against wow. you. Yeah, you know. I was, so I you was, played in high school, um, and then you play. You went. You got which college, college. did you go a little to? Small college up in Rockland County, Dominican College. It was it Division One? No, it was NAIA then. It's an NAIA school. Uh-huh. And then it, now it's Division Two now. But uh, my son ended up going there and playing baseball for them. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, How tall is your son? He's six five. Oh wow, that's great. See, that's the height you have to be too to play baseball yeah. now. You have to be six four to six six. Yeah, the Can big, I say big my, uh, Baseball been very, very good to me. Baseball been very, very good that. to me. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't have to say it at all. Just you can like just stop. Saying you can I stop just, saying I it. Just like saying it. Garrett Morris, one of, the, one of the funniest guys on SNL <laughs> ever. Yeah, I remember that. Well, skit. That was Lewis, a great skit. Was Tion, yeah, he said that. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was. That was He's a great skit. Speak English. But uh, so uh, you also played basketball. Yeah, I played basketball. Yeah. Which was your favorite sport? Well, I like both of them. I ended, yeah. up, ended up, after the job, I ended up taking a job at Salesian High School in New Rochelle coaching yeah. both baseball and basketball. I had championships in both of the sports oh, wow. with the kids, you know. That's great. I love teaching the games. I mean, they're too great. But I think baseball is the greatest game ever invented. Me too. I believe that's you know 100%. What, you know what makes baseball special? No clock. No, not that. What? Baseball is the only game that's played with a ball where the defense gets the ball. Mm. It's the yeah. most salient difference in baseball or any other ball game. Mm. That's true. Yeah. So it's a game of outs, not You're a game of runs. You're a deep thinker. I would have I'm never a thought deep, of I'm that. A deep, th- <laughs> deep thoughts. Jack Handy. Oh, that's another one. Deep I, I always used to say, they, uh, <clears throat> the, the no clock. I love the fact that there's no clock. Yeah. You play until 27 outs are done. I well, I was, out at Chase, I was out at City Field last week for the 14-inning game. And, you, you know, you, you you, could put after like 12 way. innings, you're like... Uh, It'll sound a lot better. Oh. We didn't even do that. After 12 innings, you're like... Uh, uh, God, you wish there was a clock. You know, you want to get out of there. It's yeah. Like yeah, absolutely. Unless it's your kid playing. <laughs> Unless it's your kid playing. That's when you could, could be there all day. Yeah. I, I used to coach too. I liked it a lot. I miss watching my. my I loved son being play. around the boys. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I got. Now I got. My son's got a son, so now I got. He's going to. You missed this joke, man. He's saying he's gay. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said I loved being around the, the boys. boys yeah. But uh, yeah, that was that was a good time. But once they get to high school, then you got to pass them on off. You got to just be on the sideline. And but you actually had a chance to coach. See, I wasn't a really good coach. I just used to like to be out there and you know, also hitting it around and playing catch mm. and and just you know teaching them the fundamentals, which you is played, all I could you do. You played baseball too. I played baseball. I loved baseball, and I also played basketball in high school. Mm-hmm. But also, too, you know, like a lot of these kids that are, that are, uh, came to play for me, they got hot moms. 
<laughs> so and that's the way I used to pick my kids on the team too. Who had the hottest mom? Yeah, I didn't care if they could play. Every year I used to waste my first round draft pick on this kid, and my son finally wised up. He was like, "Dad, why do you keep picking this kid? He sucks." I said, "Did you see his mom?" <laughs> so you're playing high school baseball and and basketball, and then right after high school you go to college. Uh, yeah, for what? Just two semesters. Two se- semester crap. So one out. year, basically. Yeah. So you did. You, you were able to get through six months. Yeah, I mean. And then the, the, the second two, semester, what did you get? A D and four incompletes. Why? We had a lot of phone numbers. A lot of you know, met a lot of girls. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of party. You were uh-huh. Enjoying the college experience. A D, dude. I, I, it's rare that I could find somebody that yeah. did worse than me. A yeah, D and, and, and four and incompletes. And like now I have a doctorate, so obviously, like I well, said. Well, I actually had five incompletes because <clears> you get an incomplete when you don't sign out. You don't sign out. You don't do the work. You don't hand anything in. You know, I don't even remember what the criteria was. When you but say I, you I have a doctorate. It. You have a juris doctor. Juris doctor. Yes. Yeah. Wait a minute. So they send you home after that. Yeah. They send you home after uh, well, yeah. that was, first semester, that and then you joined the military? Yeah, I went in the Marines, yeah. I had a great coach, Bob Mackin. I Mackin'. don't know, but I've been told. Eskimo <laughs> pussy is mighty cold. <laughs> That's great. He's a real Marine. I'm just... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but it's been said. <laughs> oh, my God. What's Who gives better head? head? <laughs> uh, Russian women give better head. <laughs> okay. Good head. Back then, it was Russian women, because when I was in, we were, we were in the Cold War, and we were... Everything we learned was how to counteract the Russian soldier, how to kill him, what kind of weapons he used, where, how he slept, how he ate, how he fought. It was all about killing Russians when I was in, 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 the, in the Cold War, 75, 79. So every, all, all the, all the, uh, the, uh, the PT the songs were about, you know. Uh-huh. Russians. If I die on the Russian front, uh-huh. bury me in a Russian... <laughs> you know, so we were saying these things as we ran. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Let me ask you something though about the Marine Corps. People always say that uh, the training you receive in the Marine Corps stays with you your whole life. And what parts of your life do you think uh, benefit the Marine Corps training benefited you? Well, I'll give you a funny example of that I had a I had surgery a couple of years ago, Columbia Presbyterian. And when I came in, in the recovery room and I woke up, the doctor was standing over and he was laughing. And I said, what are you laughing at? He said, well, you, you, you Marines are all the same. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, you, you were under and you were saying Delaney, 13148 Corporal. <laughs> uh-huh. I was uh, giving him my name rank at zero number. Wow. And that's how. You thought you were a POW. Well, that's how deeply embedded it is in wow, you. I mean, that's how, wow. you know, the code of conduct is very You might important. be a Manchurian candidate. Not even <clears> no, well, I think any Marine could be a Manchurian candidate. I mean, they... They, some people say they brainwash you. They don't brainwash you, but they they, they break you, indoctrinate you into a philosophy. The Marine Corps is a philosophy. It's uh, you know, like I went there with ninety guys. Twenty seven of us came home as Marines. Sixty three guys got sent home to their mother. You, it's, it takes a certain type of person to, wow. to be a Marine. That's, that's, that's good. you know, it's not just for everybody. You know, you got to be you got to be a little crazy. You got to be a little disciplined. You got to be you know, you got to have a little chip on your shoulder. Nam was done though when you. When Nam you was said. just done when I got in seventy five. Yeah, it was just done. So it was technically what the Cold So you didn't get drafted. You went in on your own. No, I went in. I went in. I was on, you know, I, I wasn't, I left school and I was on, I was on Fordham Road one day. And I was, what am I going to do with myself? And uh, I saw that recruiting. Did you station. see the, the Fordham Baldies when you were there? <laughs> no, but I. <laughs> Are you a big fan of the movie, The Wanderers? The Wanderers is a great movie, but yeah, I used I to love play, that movie. There was a stickball league, a professional uh-huh. stickball league that I played in. And we, the, the Baldies had like a team. You know? uh-huh. And we used to play in that schoolyard on Belmont Avenue there. 
And but they didn't play like stick ball like we played when we were kids with a Spalding. Uh-huh. They played with a, a tennis ball. I used to do they that. Burn the hair off of it. Yeah. You know? Oh, you burn the hair off they of burn it. Burn the hair off it. Yeah. We used to play with a tennis ball, and then we used to get a wiffle ball bat and put newspapers in the wiffle bat and tape up the end so it was heavier the bat. Much too complicated for my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. You know. And it was one bounce pitch. So you throw the no, tennis ball, one bounce. This was pitch you pitch into a box on a wall. Oh, the yeah, strike yeah. box. Yeah. Yeah, those were great days. So it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And, and we did a couple of good fights you know, after the games. You know, I ran into that kid. Fights. I ran into the guy who was in the movie The Wanderers. <clears throat> what was his name? It wasn't Meat. Meat was when he was in Porky's. Um, anyway, that was pretty cool. Trader Joe's, I bumped into him. Uh, I spent like a half hour talking to him. Uh, yeah, so you're from the Bronx. I'm from the Bronx here my whole life. Uh, that's pretty cool. I live in the Bronx now. Actually, started. I was born in Highbridge, where in, in the four four, where I ended up uh, policing. You know, I was mm-hmm. there. I was born there, which helped because I spent my child, my first part of my childhood there, and I, I knew all the alleyways and I knew where everything led out. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a great scene from The Wanderers uh, when they're getting chased through those yeah, building alleyways. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Well, they always have those big staircases in the Bronx, too, yeah. right? That lead up to the city where, steps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, there was one that goes down from like I think what is a college down yeah, at Woodover Grand chase Highway. Yeah, anyone down there? Yeah, actually, I, I wow. did. I, ch- I chased a guy named Robert Beardsley. I, uh, I, I, this is strange. One red light overtime. Wow. You know, they <laughs> killed, somebody got killed in the intersection. Talk about selling your soul. Yeah. Fight and a half. Uh, I had a mortgage and three kids, and um, somebody got killed in the intersection of Morris and 167. And back then, uh, Mayor Koch had a program where somebody died in the intersection. He wanted a cop there in an unmarked car to police the intersection and give out tickets or the light. So, um, you know, I made close to 1,000 arrests in my shortened career, but um, I took this red light overtime. Was, the deal was write a book of red lights and you're a out of there. book? Yeah, write a book of red lights and oh you're out. Oh, my God. You know, so if you, you could do it, you, you know, you could do it in 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So anyway... Uh, I get this car with Connecticut plates goes through the red light and uh, I follow it down 167 and I put the cherry on top the guy won't stop so he gets down you like put wet. the cherry on top yeah, huh? put the cherry on top that's so funny and the guy won't stop and uh, he, there's a construction down 167 so he can't go anywhere so I got him so I get out of the car and I walk to the driver's side and I said let me see let me see your hands his hands are on he's underneath the seat I said let me see your hands and he's underneath the seat I said let me see your hands summer so he had the window down so I, I put the revolver in the window I cocked it behind his head I cocked it and I said if you don't show me your hands we're gonna have a very horrible accident here right now in a few minutes <laughs> something terrible is gonna happen and when he heard the gun cock he, you know he uh-huh. brings his hands up I take him out of the car I put him on the ground outside the car I turn to look in the car there's a 45 sticking out from under the seat and when he realized that I saw the gun he kicked me in the nuts and he got up and ran oh, up like you know uh-huh. to Teller Avenue whatever so the hot day it was like 90 degrees. I had the vest on. I start chasing. I put his description. I, I get the gun. I secure it. I, I put his description out. I start chasing. So we had this big, huge chase. Like, and, and, you know, cars are coming from. It was a bad place for him to do this because you, it's at a borderline of like the four two, the four four, and the four six. It's right, like you know, all three busy. Prisons, so they're coming right? from everywhere. Yeah. So they're coming from everywhere. So he starts going down the city steps. And when he got down to the Barrio City steps, the bottom, <laughs> down to Webster Avenue, he got met by, like, the cavalry. You know, <laughs> he got, he, yeah. he, you know, he got, we had to use necessary force yes, to effect uh, the lawful arrest. He probably looked, he probably looked <laughs> like E.T. after you guys Strange guy, though. The guy had already, he was 39 years old, he had already spent 19 years of his life in prison. Him and his brother were implicated in a police shooting, a killing in Nevada. When I, when I, he, his fingerprints, he tried to burn them off with acid. Yeah. He had three or four different IDs on him. 
very strange. And tattoos all over his body. He had a tattoo of a spider on the head of his back. Yeah. Yeah. He said he got in jail. Somebody did that to him in jail. What a, that, what a pal. Oh, I don't huh? want to hear that story. <laughs> what a pal. That's all you have to tell me about that. <laughs> what a pal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Joe, will you give me a tattoo on the head of I my I guess day? he was doing some mate. Are you the guy who does the tattoos? <laughs> you the guy who does the, the Johnson tattoos? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you 10 cigarettes for that. You know? So anyway, uh, it turns out he, he had escaped from the state penitentiary in Danbury. And uh, when I got back to the car... The trunk was like filled. That's a federal prison, Danbury. Yeah, he escaped from you know. No, I think it was a state penitentiary. Oh, oh, so this guy was an escapee. He was an escapee from Connecticut, and he had guns. In, there were other guns in the trunk of the car. There was jewelry in the back of the car. Of course, it got enhanced by the detectives. That we, I don't think we ever even prosecuted him. I think the state of Connecticut took him back and wow. he got like life in prison. You know. Wow. Yeah, bad guy. He's probably getting out now with all of this. These uh... Red light overtime. Yeah. <laughs> Red light overtime. Like, you never know. That's the thing about the job. You never know what's going to happen. There's no such thing as yeah. a routine job stop. <clears throat> right? Definitely the most dangerous man I've arrested, this guy. You know, mo- absolutely most dangerous by man. Accident. By accident. Completely by accident. And if you hadn't been... Uh, diligent and tactically and all that other if stuff. If I hadn't been from the Bronx. Yeah. You know? If you didn't make him fear for his life, yeah. he may have taken you. Yeah, How many kids do you have? Gun. That was a big gun, yeah. big 45. How many kids do you have? I got five kids. So you had three? I have 37, 33, 32, 9, and 8. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I need my head again. He started all over. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a geezer dad. Uh-huh. There's a whole club at the park. There's a whole bunch of us at the park. Like, it's a club. It's like a new movement. Uh-huh. Yeah, geezer, the, the geezer dad's club. Where is this? Where do you live now? I live in Katona. Still in the Bronx? No. In no, it's oh, north what is that? Katona, okay. Westchester. Beautiful area, by the way, Katona. Yeah. Oh, it's a nice little town. It's yeah, funny. Well, I lived in an apartment near an elevated train in the Bronx. You know, people would come and say, how do you live here with the train? Mm-hmm. I didn't even hear it. You don't hear it after I bought the house up here. I hear every mouse, every every spider. <laughs> yeah. I hear everything, every creek. You know? yeah. If there's a mouse in the crawl space upstairs, I can't sleep. I, can't, I got my up You got to kill it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Get the gun out. He gets a Open up the safe. Freeze mouse. Right behind his ear, right? Yeah. Do you cock it? <laughs> mouse story. There's going to be a horrible mistake I here. Had, I had a mouse. Yeah, going to be terrible. I had a mouse in the house. And my, 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 my fiance said, don't kill it. Don't kill it. So, so I went and bought one of these humane traps uh-huh. that captures it. Yeah. So I wake up one morning and the mouse is in there. So I go out on the deck and I drop the mouse like 25 feet to the ground. And it hits the ground and it's like stunned. And I'm watching it. It kind of wakes up. And it goes, walks back under the deck like it's going to come back in the house. So I run down in my underwear, and I look for the mouse. And it's, on the, it's climbing up the wall of the house to get back in the house. <laughs> so I have a wood pile back there. I'm, I'm throwing pieces of wood at the, uh, the house to try and knock this mouse down off the house. And it gets up between the deck. And I run around, go back up the stairs. And I didn't close the, the, the door to the deck. And just as I got to the top of the stairs, the mouse went back in the house. <laughs> That mouse. Think of that mouse. That he's like, yo, look, I'm like, scaring the shit out of this six foot, six foot house. six, three hundred guy. My neighbor guy, sees me out there in my underwear throwing wood at my own house. So I said to my fiance, oh, okay, no, no more of these humane traps. I went and got the like the you know. You walk in, you get the cat. What is the trap. humane trap is supposed to do? You're supposed to let them go in the woods. Oh, yeah, they go in, but they, they can't get out. But it doesn't kill them. Oh, all right. So I went and bought the killing trap the next night. You know, <laughs> come in and your head gets chopped off. And you uh-huh. so, the guillotine one. The guillotine yeah. trap, yeah. So you spent how many years in the military? Uh, three and a half years. I was uh, in, signed up for three, did an extra half year because we were out on a on a cruise, you know? Mm-hmm. So 
But I had, a, I had a good time in the military, and I probably would have stayed if the living conditions were better. But they have that figured out now. My, my son-in-law was out in Pendleton, and I had just visited Camp Lejeune again. I hadn't been down there in 40 years. The old squad bay that I lived in, which was just basically we had a bunk bed, and it was separated by two wall lockers and another bunk bed. And that's how we lived in a squad bay, like 60 of us. Mm-hmm. Now they've knocked those down. They've built these, like, dormitories where, you know, the guys have, like, private rooms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I guess I think they realized that they, they were having a hard time retaining people because of the living conditions. Yeah. Uh, my son-in-law is a, a Marine Raider, which is a, a MARSOC, which is our version of the SEALs. You know, they spent millions of dollars training this kid. So when he was out in uh, Pendleton there, they have this, he lived in like a townhouse with my daughter and the two kids. They built up like a little town, like a little community right there on the base where they have a school and playgrounds and pools. Because and they want to hold on to these guys. They want to hold on to them because they're spending a lot of money training them. So well, they, I, they finally figured it out. Do a tattoo on the tip of your... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But years ago, years ago, if you wanted to stay in the Marine Corps and had a family, you had to live in like a trailer park outside the base. Yeah, you know? yeah. so it was horrible. So now they, they You got your out. Marine Corps tats or no? I have a Marine Corps tat. Oh, okay. Right, right at up on top. Can we see that? It's the first one I ever got. USMC. It's all faded. It's like it says USMC. It's faded. He needs to get that re-upped. I was 18 when I got that. No uh, spiders? No spiders. No dog with the spike collar around his neck. That's, that's Chesty. Like that. <laughs> that's Chesty the bulldog. That's right. Uh, every commandant has it. He lives at 8th and I at the Marine Corps uh, uh, commandant's house. And uh, it's uh, he's named after Chesty Puller, who was... Uh, Famous Marine, won five Navy Crosses, Colonel Puller. Wow. Uh, he was surrounded in the Chosen Reservoir. The story is that he sent scouts out, and the scout came back, and he asked them to report. He said, Colonel, there's two divisions to the north, two to the south, one to the east, and two to the west. And uh, Colonel Puller reportedly said, good, those sons of bitches can't get away from us now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And then, you know, he, and then he marched those Marines out of uh, on, across the Chosen Reservoir to uh, to safety. Wow. He, 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 did, he was one of the greatest... Uh, you know, it's funny. The police department uh, used to <clears throat> love guys coming on the job from the service. I wonder if that's still true, whether they not I don't see how they care could, I don't see how they couldn't. I mean, when yeah. I was, in the 80s, a lot, a lot of us, I would say most of us, you know, had... I think even the military's changed. Yeah. They have a, they've, they've adjusted. They've had to. Mm-hmm. Courts, they've had a lot of uh, lawsuits and stuff like that. You know, then they went through that don't ask, don't tell. Mm. So it's a lot different, the military now. Mm. Especially since, I mean, who goes? It's the people from the middle America mostly. There's no jobs in their towns. Very few people, kids are just, you know. Well, how many city kids, you know, go into the military? No, the only way there's a random population is when there's a draft. Right. Because everyone's subject yeah, to it. I don't know if they'll I think in the 70s, draft. if you'd asked my high school class how many of you would consider going in the military, a lot of us would have raised our hands. I don't think they're allowed to go to uh, the today. schools anymore. Some, of the schools, even, some schools don't even want them on the college campuses. Yeah, that, that makes me sick. <clears throat> like the Columbia universities, you know, all these yeah. left-wing yeah. schools that they don't, they hate the military, they hate the police, you know. Well, my, my son-in-law is out of the Marine Corps now, and he's studying to go to medical school, and the Marine Corps is going to help him pay for some of that. That's yeah, that's beautiful. great. That's, that's the way to go. That's great. So um, you did your three and a half years in the military. You came home to the Bronx? Yeah, came home to the Bronx. And then you, uh, I would imagine you took the police test. I had taken the police test while I was home on leave at one point. Smart move. And then when I got back, um, I, I, I got a job at working construction in 608, the Carpenters Union. Back wow! Then, was, back, back then, if you were Irish, you could get, you could get, be a carpenter automatically. You were one big fucking yeah, carpenter. Yeah, one big carpenter. <laughs> and uh, 
So I, I took a job in, in the carpenter's union for a little while, and then and then the police department called me like pretty pretty quickly, like within six months. I went. You know. Any regrets? None, none. I never left the station house a single day where I didn't feel like I'd done something important. I'm saying between the carpenters' union. I mean, where do you think you would have made more money in the end? My life has never been about making money. I'm just saying. I'm curious. I made some money as a lawyer. Was, it, was the carpenters' union good back then, the way it is now? It was good for me because I was a big, I was a big gorilla. So now what they do is that when they load a job with sheetrock, they load it with a hoist. They load it mm. with a crane. They put, yeah. they put all the boards on each floor. Back then... You had you had five gorillas like me. They would meet a truck at the after work. You know it was double time. Yeah. They give you a list. We want twenty boards on the second floor, fifty boards on the third floor, and you would load a hoist and um, you would unload it on each floor. Yeah. You know now they don't. But that, that was double time. I was making, I was getting checks every week for over thousand dollars, couple of thousand, you know, twelve hundred, thirteen hundred dollars. I was I was twenty years old. A lot. That's beautiful. That's a lot of a money. A lot of back money then. in the seventies. Oh my god, forget yeah, it. I drank it all up. You could have bought a car. You could have bought a brand new car for twelve hundred bucks. Car small. I drank. I drank. I didn't need a car. For the college education. You live in the Bronx. You don't need a car. Uh -huh. You don't need a car in the Bronx. So, um, what you, when you took the police test, uh, what year did you go in the academy? I went in the end of uh, um, went in the end of '83, so I was in the. How old were you? I was uh, twenty-five. Twenty-five. That's when I got on too. The first precinct you went to was the four-four. Twenty-six. Yeah, I was in the NSU nine. But that was in the Bronx. Yeah, in the fifty-second. And uh, that's the borough, right? Five-two. No, the four-eight is the four borough. But um, yeah, I was there at, in NSU 9 with a bunch of great old cops who taught us. Do you hear that noise? Yeah, it's the chair squeaking. Oh, it's my chair? Okay. It's because I got to take a leak. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so anyway, but then I, I got transferred to the 4-4, and I, I spent the, the whole rest of my career there, which was great. You know, it was the 80s. It was crack epidemic. It was, you know, 25 jobs a shift. So we what tour did you work? Well, we worked on Nine Squad Chart. We worked oh, all, you know, yeah, we worked days, like midnights, and four to You really got a chance to get to know everybody in the command back you know, then. That, we knew everybody. That's what is missing now. 378 cops, we all knew each other. Yeah, cops don't know each other now because they right. all work, they know, work different shifts. tours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when we have a gathering at the 4, you know, you're saying before, like, once the 4-4, four, four, always. We, we say 4-4 four, four forever in the club. That's our motto. And when we have a gathering, there's always, like, several hundred guys that show up from the 80s, you know, and because uh, we were very, that's, we had a bond there, you know, it was like every night we were backing each other up every single night. Right. I mean, 20, 25 jobs a shift, you know, Central holding 15, holding 20, you know, things happen that would never happen today. Like we had a shootout on the concourse with a guy who shot two cops. He was posing as a cop robbing a crack spot and he shot two cops on the 4-6, I think. Crystal Rodriguez was the name of one of the cops, and the other policeman, I don't, I don't remember his name, but he caught one in the vest. He was fine, but we had a running gun battle on the on the on the concourse. Between, you know, and it was again four six and the four four, the two busiest police precincts in America at the time. And we we fired over a hundred rounds at this guy. I remember that they used that as a training yeah. video at the range. <laughs> we hit we hit him like twenty times, you know. And Joey D'Amico, who was the uh, superintendent of the state police, yeah. ended up finishing him off with a shotgun. Uh, I guess Joey was in street crime at the time, or maybe the task force, but he had a shotgun. And um, the guy was trying to reload this 357, and he closed the cylinder, and Joey said, don't do it. And he lifted it up, and Joey finished him. But we had all these bullet holes in, like, so many cars in the concourse. And the duty captain, wherever he was, came. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't going to shut 
the two busiest precincts in America down, like for the four, whole four to 12, by saying, he said, you, 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 and you, you fired your weapons? Yeah. Okay, you stay here. You're going to be on the 49. The rest of you, reload and go back, go back on patrol. On patrol. <laughs> All right. That would never happen today. No, no, they would shut the whole thing that down. That would never yeah. happen yeah. today. Never in a million years. So, That's right. You know, it's a different job completely. completely. That's wow, so it's crazy. so interesting. I mean, they use that as a training film or basically how crazy. Oh, know. it was insane. Yeah. It was insane. It was amazing. Because a lot of you guys almost shot each other. It was a lot of crossfire. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. every day you came to work, there was a backlog in jobs, pretty much. Every single day. Day, day tour... Uh, 4 to 12, midnight. Well, the midnight sometimes would be quiet, but, you know, we'd sit there, listen, just listen for the gunshots and drive toward them. You know, that's what we would do. That was a place that uh, no captain or DI wanted to go as the CO, though, right? Well, we had we had a great captain. You know, John Scanlon was, was our boss oh, yeah. there. And yeah. He ended up being chief of patrol. And right. I worked for that man for, like, five or six years. It was the best person you could ever work for. Another Marine. And uh, just a great human being. That's right. He retired because I think Carrick tried to send him to housing. Well, they put Carrick as police commissioner over him. Yeah. And that was just wrong. When he left one one police plaza on the day of his retirement, the cops lined the highway all the way up. No, I remember that. All the way up to Deegan to the Tappan Bridge, escorted him out of the city. I was at the very last Comstat meeting he was ever at. And he got, you know. It was pretty touching. Oh, uh, what a man. What a man. You know, I still speak with him occasionally. He was, he was my my rabbi, you know, young Marine like me. And yeah. He just, uh, he was a great cop. I mean, four to 12s, you'd be up in a, on the fifth floor of a tenement holding three, and you'd, you'd hear the keys and, and the feet coming up the stairs, and the inspector would be the first guy. You know? Wow. So you're in the 4-4 right now, and you mentioned earlier that you didn't do the whole 20. How much time did you actually do? Eight. Eight years, wow. Yeah. And you made over a 1,000 calls, you said. Close to it, yeah. Wow, that's, that's incredible. You know, Mado was involved in. My partner also, you know, mm-hmm. we, 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 I didn't take every call. He took half of them, but we, we were two active guys. My partner, Steve. Is there only, uh, any reason why you only did eight? Broke my back. Broke your back. Went down a flight of stairs. How, how did you do that? You know, I want to I make up some glorious, like, story Banana about peel? It. No. <laughs> so <clears throat> I decided to go to law school, and... Uh, I was, I was maybe about 30, 40 names away on the sergeant's list, and I was also getting close to being, getting a shield. I was in, I was in the RIP unit at 4-4 this time. And uh, I, had an inc- I had a little incident in the trial room, you know, where um, some a miscreant was alleging that my, my partner and myself uh, broke his leg with a flashlight. So there was a guy named Lieutenant Latuga at IAD who investigated this for over two years, Richie Latuga. If you're out there, Lieutenant, um, please walk in front of my car at some point in time, uh, <laughs> and I will have a stuck accelerator. He, uh, he just harangued us for two years to try and get, you know, get something on us. Ended up getting nothing. We ended up getting charged with failure to make an aided card, okay? And... Um, we had this incident. We go down to the trial room, and uh, we're waiting for our trial. And the PBA sends us this lawyer, this jerk, and he says to us, "You know, I'm from the PBA. I'm your lawyer. Tell me what happened." I said, "Tell you what happened." I said, "This is two years. This has been going on. You don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. We got a trial in five minutes. You don't know what happened." Mm-hmm. He said, "I heard something. You know that you know somebody got their leg broken with a flashlight." I said, "I grabbed the guy. I said, you're lucky I don't have a flashlight right now.'" Mm-hmm. You know. 
<laughs> I put him up against the wall. And I said to my partner, I said, listen, you want him to represent you, you go right ahead. I told him, you're not representing me. I'm going to represent myself in this. So we go in. And I get 30 days for the 80 card. My partner got 60. So I did better, I did better without wow. the lawyer. <clears throat> so I did better without the lawyer anyway. So I got out of there and I said to my partner, as soon as we get out, I said, next time I'm in a room full of lawyers, I'm going to be one. That was bullshit. <laughs> so I took my 30-day vacation and uh, I went and took the LSAT. Were you already in law school? No, I wasn't in law school. LSAT's the prep test. That's the prep oh, test. I went and took the LSAT. And um, I passed it, and I got accepted to several different schools. But you graduate, obviously, you wound up graduating. You get you got your uh, your BA in something, right? You yeah, undergrad, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I got my grad. I graduated from Dominican. I, when I come out of the Marines in '79, I went back to Dominican, and I finished in three years. I got my bachelor's degree. All right, smart move. So yeah, so then um, I'm there, and uh, I passed the LSAT. So I went into Inspector Scanlon. I said, Inspector Scanlon, I passed the LSAT. I got accepted to a couple of schools. I need a steady day shift. Back then, it was a night squad job. It was hard to get a steady shift. So there was a guy named Phil Sherman who had been uh, the liaison between the police department and the Bronx Supreme Court for like, many, many years. He's, he stood on Walton Avenue, and he controlled all these parking spots. It's kind of funny, because my first couple of weeks on the post, I had all these people coming up to me with $10 bills wanting to park the car. <laughs> I said, it's a new sheriff in town. We're not doing it anymore. So anyway, so, so anyway um, I, he gets me the steady day shift. So it was a great deal, because all I had to do is make sure all the, everybody got in with their purse after lunch, and then I could go up to the judge's library and study and then leave early and go to St. John's to class. So it was great. So, but I was always, you know, military, right? So I, I wore Creighton shirts, crease pants, spit shine shoes, you know, my ribbons. I always look, I always look like a cop, you know? Actually, I think it's part of the problem today. Guys don't really look like cops today. I don't like these uniforms they wear today. That's interesting yeah. perspective. Anyway, I got mustard on my shirt. So I went, I went in to change the shirt. So while I'm in the station house to change the shirt, the 4-4, it's got this big staircase that goes up to the second floor, and then there's a short little staircase that goes to the left to get onto the second floor itself. And the squad is right there. Squad room is right there. So I'm coming down after my new shirt, and I'm speaking to this great detective, John McCarthy, first grade, God rest his soul. And he says to me, listen, there's a guy that we're looking for for two bodies in one of the parks over there, Joyce Kilmer Park. And, and you locked up the guy like three or four years ago. It was a Dominican guy. I remember the guy. He said, we, he was in Dominican. We think he came back. He said, so you're out there by the, by the courthouse. You're out there every day. Look for him. See if you see him, lock him up. Mm-hmm. So he gave me a picture of the guy. So I took my hat off and I put the picture in my hat. And I started walking down the stairs. Now, that building was built in 1897. This was April 3rd of 1989. And... Um, there was a steam radiator at the top of the stairs that was leaking all winter. And a matter of fact, one of the cops had done a 49 on, on how this was dangerous, you know? Mm-hmm. But they never fixed it. So I, my, my shoe gets caught in a piece of broken linoleum, and I go S over tea kettle backwards down those 20 stairs in the fourth floor. Oh, wow. And I fractured a couple of vertebrae and extruded three discs. I was in Colombia. I couldn't feel my legs for a few hours. It was, it was bad. It was bad. And from then on, it's it was a like, bad, that's a hard fall, man, because you're so big. From then on, it was like a year and a half for me to get, like be able to walk normally again. You know, I was in a pool every day. I was attraction for the first few months. But the city, what they did is they kept me, they kept me unrestricted for a year because my third my third year back, I had like maybe 1,400 hours overtime because I was a collar guy. Mm-hmm. So they kept me unrestricted at home. 
so they could wipe that out of my pension, you know, uh. and then they let me go, you know. Wow. Yeah, so that, that was all numbers game. It was all dollars. So you got three quarters. I did, yes. I did. But you got three quarters at eight years. Eight years. I had hurt my back once before earlier on the job. We were chasing a guy who did a robbery with a sort of shotgun, and he he was he had thrown the, the shotgun into a playground, and I, I said to my partner, "You keep chasing him. I'm going to get the shotgun because there are kids in the playground." So I kind of got out of the car while it was still moving, and I stepped in like a sewer, Oof. and my back went out. So I was out on, on, on line duty on that for a few weeks. So I'd hurt the back before, but this was this was worse. I mean, this was fractures and stuff. This was, so uh, it was bad. It was a you know, that day changed my life. I, that day, I, I bench pressed like 360 pounds a couple of times. Earlier. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was a, yeah, I was built like a brick wall. I could run like a gazelle. I mean, it, it might have actually hurt you when you, with the fall. Because yeah. you were already tight. You were in a recuperation mode. Yeah, probably. I don't know. It did, but it, you, know, you weren't loosey-goosey. Were no, you? well, those steps were metal. So when I went down, I went down like head first backwards. Yeah, that's bad. With my back hitting every step of the way down, so... I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I'm walking. I mean, look, I got shot at a few times. I mean, all of us in those days, you know, it was dangerous. We all had, you know, uh, we all had incidents where, you know, we, we could have been, you know, we could have bought the farm. You know, all of us, every one of us. We were lucky. The only guy that actually caught a bullet was a guy named Richie Ang. God bless him. If you're out there, Richie, Richie lives up in Hancock, New York. He got shot in the stomach with a 44. In, in right? the stomach. Oh, with a big guy. I think it was a 357. But uh, the, the cop that put that perp down is a guy named Brendan Glynn, who uh, went on in his career to have like four or five, you know, documented uh, shootings. Uh, very famous detective, Brendan Glynn, had a really incredible career, just like one of these guys in the wrong place at the wrong time all the time. You know? So after the eight years, now you get your three quarters. Are you done with law school? So, no, I'm in the middle of law school when this happens. So I take this time off to recuperate, and then. I got to decide, do I go back or do I, what? I, had, I had, was halfway through it and I, I, you know, I spent all this money on it, you know, and time. Because I didn't get a scholarship from the police department. The scholarship that year went to Kathy Ryan, who ended up being like one of the highest, uh, the highest uh, ranking female officers on the job. She was an academy person. Yeah. She's a really good woman, good, yeah. good, good human being. And so there's a scholarship that goes out to one person in law school that, that covers time, the whole thing? At that, that time, they gave out one I a year. I think they give wow. more than that now, actually. At that time, I got it. actually the finest foundation scholarship to go for my master's, which oh. was a help, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gave me like $5,000. So um, I did a couple of things in law school to, 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 to you know, get free tuition. I, I produced and directed the Law Review Show, where I got to write all these skits making fun of the professors and stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and that was very, you know, we packed the house a couple of years in a row. And they gave me like a semester for that, you know. And then I also, I, I edited the, the law school newspaper, so I got tuition for that too. So I did those things while I, you know, I was still technically on the job when I went back, you know, because they held me to kill my pension, you know. Mm-hmm. I just had a call and said, look, I'm going to school, you know. Mm-hmm. Nobody monitored me or anything. So. so I went back and I finished. And that was... Uh, so I finished, and I wanted to become a district attorney. So I go, I start having these interviews. So all where did you work up north? Uh, no, I, I worked. Uh, where did I work? Well, this, uh, ADA. When you were no, ADA. I wanted to become one. I, oh yeah. I, yeah. The only guy who would offer me a job was Charlie Hines. Got arrested. Oh really? Yeah. But I didn't want to travel from Westchester to Brooklyn every day. That's a pretty that's, crappy. That's a long year. haul, yeah. So um, you know, uh, the guy in Queens, Judge Brown wouldn't hire me. Johnson wouldn't hire me. They they didn't want like somebody with all this experience in the street. They wanted a kid out of law school who had no preconceived notions about the criminal justice system. So um, 
I was in, in the process of going through all these interviews, and then I ran into an old friend of mine, a guy named Joe Mead, who was a teammate of mine in the Knights of Columbus when we were kids, and we played against each other in college. He went to St. Thomas Aquinas. And um, Joe uh, had been teaching at this place, Salesian High School in New Rochelle. And he said, listen, they're looking for somebody to teach and coach over there. You'd be perfect for that. I said, Joe, I don't really feel like doing that. He said, listen, let me set you up with an interview with the guy and just have the interview. If you don't like it, you don't do it. So we did, and I went over and I interviewed with this man named John Flaherty, who's a dear friend of mine today. He just retired after 50 years of of teaching, a really amazing man. And I had this interview with him, and I walked out of it, and I said, I don't even care if this guy pays me. Wow. I want to work for, I want to, I want to work for this guy. Wow. So after spending, you know, the, that eight years putting kids in handcuffs and in the morgue wagon, because, you know, we had a dead kid every night, uh, you know, and they weren't killed by white police officers either. They were killed mm-hmm. by other black kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never saw Colin Kaepernick or any, any NFL players down there. I never saw Al Sharpton ever once. You, see, you look in the paper the next day and say, you know, you know, male 19 killed, page 57, you know, a little paragraph, you know. Nobody really, you know, understands that what's going on in the inner city. Even today, they don't get it. So, but anyway, I took this job and uh, it was exactly like what I was supposed to do after after being on the police department. It was like, I was, now I was teaching young men how to be young men and sending them off to college and getting them, help them get scholarships for athletics and uh, um, getting them to buy into a system. And we ended up winning championships. And How long did you do that for? I did it for seven years now. When I, when I got there with a coach named Jerry Power, they had 250 kids in the school. The school had seats for 450. But they hadn't had a winning uh, program in, in athletics in like 10, 12 years. You know, boys don't want to go to school where, where the basketball team sucks, right. the baseball team sucks. Yeah. So Jerry and I, we made a plan for five years to have championships in both of the sports, and we did. And we did. In 1997, we won the state championship in basketball. Wow. And in 96, uh, we won the Catholic state championship in baseball, you know. The city championship, and then we vied for the cap. And they, I, they actually won that after I left the whole state championship. But, That's amazing. But we built the program. We got the right kids, you know. And um, the year we won the, the basketball championship, we had the, I had the valedictorian and the salutatorian on the varsity basketball team. And they were um, kids we found in the Bronx. One, <laughs> we found one at Kips Bay, and we found the other one at the Gauchos gym. Great kids, they're great kids. And now that when I talk to these kids, they're, they're young men. I walk down the street, I say, hey, coach, I turn around as a 40-year-old guy. You know? mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're dads and they're, they're gainful employees. And they're, they're people that are contributing to, to, to the world. You know, it's like, it's it's really, really um, invigorating. When are I'm you? Right. Did you become a lawyer yet while you were teaching or you, you postponed that? No, I was a lawyer. I had the law degree, and uh, but I, I put it aside to teach. Mm-hmm. And then after I was there for six, seven years, my oldest boy, who was a baseball player, he played for me one year as a freshman. He didn't actually play. He ran a lot of foul poles and he raked. <laughs> I think I let him pitch like four innings the whole season. But um, uh, he went on to pitch them to a championship. And uh, as a matter of fact, I just yesterday I just dropped off at his house. Yeah, I'm moving from one house to another. So in doing that, you like purge a lot of things. And I found this thing in the garage was... He had pitched a perfect game, and wow. they had kept the box score and framed it, you know. And that's a hard thing to do at any level, you know. He did it again in college, but he did it in high school. And so I found that, and I brought it over to his house yesterday so that he could have it, because, you know, he should have it. I, I mean, it's sitting in the garage. It's, it's yeah, it's beautiful. Out. Yeah. So anyway, um, the kids were getting older, and uh, I wanted to send them to private school, and, you know... Uh, 
my daughter wanted to go to Ursuline. It was like 12 grand a year then. I don't know what it is now. So I said, look, I got to make more money. So I, I went and started the law practice. So You dug up some of those big boxes of cash that you buried in your yard from those 4-4 four, four days. <laughs> from the 4-4 four, four days. Yeah. No, but you know, people ask me that. Now. It's funny. Mason jars. I never saw a cop take money. And people say to me, well, if you saw a cop take money, you, know, you always his, have to turn I'd around. I'd lock his ass up. I would lock his ass up. <laughs> you give him a wink and then you turn around. No, That's you never no, have to no, no, you know what is? That's why we're all amazed by I'm what just Michael Dowd did. You know, yeah. like, and how they tried to almost make him this hero after he's out of, fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck you know? him. I fuck wouldn't him. even have It's him. true, though, because people everybody assumes that, you know. You Look at see- this piece of shit nannery from the 3030. You know, I work with him. I would like to help break him in. Yeah. Which one was that? Kevin Nannery. Yeah. Came up to me on the street in White Plains a few years ago. He works for Verizon. I was like, yo, don't even say hello to me. You're a freaking disgrace. You disgrace us all. But what, which one? What did Nannery do? He was do? a sergeant the, in the, the 3030. And he was, uh, oh, yeah, okay. he was doing some dirty shit. Yeah. He tried to rat out this, uh, the XO, too. Uh, Captain Manetto. Yeah. I always tell dead. people because the the assumption is that you're you know you're always offered bribes. I said, listen, I was a cop. I was active for 20 years. I never got offered a bribe. I never got offered drugs or sex to yeah. look the other way. You talk about bad luck. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> it, ne- it never happened. I had a spa- I, now talk about hard to turn down, right? One day I yeah. walk into a building, I had a woman said to me, officer. You have so many ribbons. <laughs> I do things for you. I only do for my husband. <laughs> no, thank you. It's the thought that counts. You know? Wait a minute. When do you go into music, by the way? When, when is the music coming in? Well, I always wrote poetry. I was like 12 years old, a guy named Bob Sabino. Now, you, you don't know Bob Sabino, but you do know him. Because if you listen to the David Bowie's Let's Dance album, every time you hear that, that's Bob Sabino, a kid from Decatur Avenue. Sister Sledge, we are family. That's Bob Sabino. He's a great piano player. But he lived across the street from me. One day I was writing some poetry out in front of the building, sitting on the stoop. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing poems. He looked at my poems. He took one of the poems, and he was in a band then called the Sims Brothers. And they did a record. And he took this poem, put it to music. It was my first like published musical thing. This is It's called Playpen. And um, I was 12. So then, I, you know... When I was 14, my friend, Brendan Perry, God bless him, God rest his soul, uh, he, he gave me two albums. He gave me the Sweet Baby James album and the, uh, an album by John Denver called Poems, Prayers, and Promises. And uh, I learned how to sing by mimicking those two great singers. Now, they're two great singers, both of them. Singing's all breath control. These two guys are masters of it. So anyway, I mimicked those albums, learned how to sing, couldn't play the guitar. There was a guy named John Undercuffler, and they would play the guitar. So he learned a lot of songs for the album. So we'd sit in, in the park on Marshall Park. We'd be drinking beers, and John would play, and I would sing. Everybody, everybody enjoyed it. So I'm in the Marine Corps. I'm on a ship in Copenhagen. So I play cards with the sailors, right? And they're trying to rope me into the game. But I went a couple of hands, and I, and I, I said, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm taking my money. I'm going. They said, you can't quit. I said, I can't quit. There's 450 Marines on this boat. You ain't going to tell me I can't quit. <laughs> of course I'm quitting. You know, not telling me I can't quit. I quit. I take the money. I'm walking in, in Copenhagen, and I see. I said, we're going to be on the, on the on the water for like another three months. Well, what can I do? I said, maybe I can learn how to play the guitar. I saw a guitar in the window, so I bought it. Mm-hmm. And I brought it back on the ship, and I'm like making noise with this thing. <laughs> and the other Marines like, cut that shit out. We're gonna break that thing over your head. And when you know, when Marines say stuff like that, they kind of mean it. <laughs> so I didn't know. What, so what happens with a guitar? You put it in the corner. It's like a beautiful woman. Somebody's yeah. gonna come up and talk to it. You know. Yeah. And for me, it was a guy named Frank Scott from Penrose, Colorado. Frank and I are close friends today. I just talked to him last week. 
he picked it up and he was a country boy. He played all these like Waylon Jennings songs and Johnny Cash and stuff like that. And I said to him, can you teach me you know, how to play? So he taught me my first like 10 chords. And by the time I had gotten back to the United States, I had written my first two or three songs, you know. And I've been writing songs ever since. I've written over 400 of them. I've done five albums. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, I've been on stages with a lot of like famous people. I'll tell you a funny story about a couple of years after I'm off the job and I stopped playing music again. After I'm in traction, I say to myself, when I'm back up on my feet, I'm going to start playing music again. So these coffee houses started to open up where you could play your own original music in church basements and stuff like that. So I went to an open mic, and the guy says, you're you terrific. Can you do an hour? I said, yeah. So he, got, he, he gives me a date for to do an hour. That date comes, place is packed. I had done a little 10-song cassette, and I sold out all the cassettes I had. A few months later, I get a call, and it's like, uh, hello, this is uh, Peter Yarrow. Do you know who I am? I, yeah. I said, yeah, I know who you are. And he says, uh, we'd like you to come and open up a show with us, and me and my friends. I said, sure, I'll do that, you know. So I go down there and, they, and, and I do my little set and it's well received. And then at the end, they're doing, you know, their encore is Puff the Magic Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm up on the stage and I'm, I'm like, Puff the Magic Dragon. And I'm singing and playing the guitar, one side of my brain, the other side of my brain saying, Two years ago, I was beating the shit out of somebody with a nightstick. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now I'm singing Puff the Magic Freaking Dragon. <laughs> That's great. My life is so strange. Yeah, I used to do that when I was in the squad. I used to like leave like literally like right after making an arrest or in the Warren squad, like bringing somebody back to court, knocking down, kicking down doors. Yeah. And then a half an hour later, I'd be on stage telling jokes. Yeah. It's a, it really... It's a different world. Yeah, you got to learn how to switch gears real quick. I was saying to Bill, I, I think I like the tri-stand. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. I think, I think you takes, have to. It takes huge balls to do that. It, listen, with your experience, first of all, uh, I'm so impressed because, like, Bill, Bill's a professor. He was on the job, and I mentioned, uh, you know, I've, I've done so many things. And people, like, when I tell them, oh, I did that, or I did that for... Just like you, all these different things, you felt like you had to try, you tried yeah. them, you reached a certain level of success, you, you figure out what what it is, you know, to do that. Yeah. You know, it's just, a, you only got one life. Why not yeah. just do everything you want to do? I'm an adjunct at a couple of colleges, too. I've been a professor, too. I love teaching. I think, I was just telling Bill, I, I think I'm going to retire from the law because I'm having this heart issue now. And uh, I was thinking, what am I going to do now? You know, mm-hmm. you know, maybe teaching or maybe volunteering as a coach at a, at a high school, or something like that, would be a good thing to do. You know, because you got to stay busy. I got about music. About music. I can do music. I can sit and play music. Yeah. I mean, I love to do that. I, I kind of put the music aside the last few years. I did a record in 2017. A friend of mine named Terrence Martin had passed away, and I, I did the record as a tribute to him. Um, he was a real good guitarist, right? He was a good guitar player. Yeah. He was a really good wordsmith. He was a, he had a couple of master's degree in English, and he, he taught at the French American School. He was a brilliant guy, one of the most literate men I've ever met in my life, and a guy who took really good care of the words. So if you're out there and you're listening to this, Terrence Martin with Terrence with one R, get a hold of some of his music. Listen to it; it's absolutely beautiful. And um, he, you know, I was we were best friends. He was like a muse of mine. I was his, I was his lawyer. I was his best man at his wedding. You know, we were we were very close friends. And he, he died of pancreatic cancer in a very short span of time, like diagnosed August, dead November. Wow. Like that wow. So uh, when he died, it, we, he wanted to record his last record. So we did it at his house because he couldn't travel. 
So what we did is we marked the floor with tape where everybody was standing, where every microphone was, every chair. So we were all in the same place at the same time. And we put this old field recorder in the middle of the room. So we would go to the house and we would arrange a song for a half an hour, an hour. And then when we were ready with the arrangement, he would come out and he would sing it, you know. So we, we did six tunes. And um, the last session, he, he, it was readily apparent that he wasn't going to be able to continue anymore. It, it, six was all we were going to get out of him. So he never made a lot of money, Terrence. But what he did is every time he had a couple of thousand dollars, he would go out to the guitar shops and he, he knew how to, he could buy a guitar for two grand that was worth 10. You know, he just knew what to buy, you know. Mm-hmm. Really fine acoustic guitars. So he had his wife line up guitars on the couch, and he gave each one of the musicians a guitar. Wow! Mm. And he gave me a 1961 Gibson J45, which you see Dylan playing. Phil Oaks. It's a, it's a wide body. Yeah, and there's not that many of them left guitar. on the planet. This, you know, that are in this condition anyway. So uh, I wrote a song when he passed. I wrote a song called, you know, uh, about the guitar. Um, and uh, the premise of the song was that. Uh, I don't know who played this guitar in 1961. I don't know who's going to play it 50 years after I'm dead, but you and I will always be together in the sound hold of this. this That's beautiful. Song, you know? So I, I sang it at his uh, memorial service, and people said, you got to record that, you got to record that. So I, I did, and I thought, well, let me do a record to, to commemorate him. And I found this old napkin. We were sitting at a diner one day, and we had gone through a list of words that nobody had put in the song that, that we thought would be <laughs> interesting. <in the> song. <laughs> words like smithereens, mm-hmm. decipher. So I took the napkin and I started writing songs that had all those words in it, uh-huh. and uh, it, it turned into an album. And I did it, and it got it got played on four hundred something radio stations in America and Canada. But I never released it commercially because that wasn't the point of it. The point of it was, just, I kind of felt like it was the last thing I could do for my friend. You know, this this tribute. And it's called Almost Anyone, and uh, the title song is one of his songs, which was kind of like my favorite song of his, which I did my own version of because he used to do it like slow, like you know really like a dirge and I, I sped it up and did mm-hmm. it you know, a little differently I think he would have liked it that's pretty cool man yeah yeah. well we're uh, uh, we're up with the first hour believe it or not that went pretty quick and we learned a lot but well, there's still more and I have a <laughs> I have a question that I need to get the answer to and I'm going to ask you that uh, when we come back for um, the second part thing? Um, you know it's amazing this is our 30th episode and the stories we get are unbelievable yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, mean, the, this... I got a call from a, I, th- I told you from some uh, producer that wants to do a Skype with me on Thursday mm-hmm. in regards to another cop show, and she found me from our podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just think like someone like Monty here, these fucking stories, and God forbid these stories die. You know, I mean, well, I'm sure people say the same thing to you guys. They say to me, you should write a book. Right? These stories are amazing, you know, yeah. and that's why there's been people we have asked that are like some of the other superstars on the NYPD that have turned us down. And I, I'm not going to beg anybody, but I always say, you know, your stories, you're 70 years old or 75, your story's going to die with you. No one's mm. going to hear these stories. Right. And you have some amazing stories. Why right. not just put it? To a recording, you know? Right, yeah. Anyway, that's, I'll, yeah. I'll get off my soapbox now, but that's that's why, to me, this is such a great show. Yeah, this was fun. This episode was a lot of fun. And we're going to uh, take a break, refill our teacups, and hit the head, and then we'll be back for the second part. Cool. With Montgomery Delaney. Cool. 